Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Friday, April 8th. We've got a jam-packed day lined up for you. Joining me here in the first hour will be John and Joel for an episode of Trucking Technology and Efficiency. And we'll continue into a second hour. Um, I don't know if John and Joel will hang out. They can if they want. Uh, for a freaky free-for-all Friday, anything goes. Let's end the week on a fun, positive note. So uh, we're going to get started here in just a minute. If you are listening today on the TNC Radio live stream and you want to switch over and be able to hear that second hour, you can hear it at letstruck.com. We're going to open the phone lines right now for uh, the first hour, which is primarily about fuel mileage, technology, emissions. We can throw in some maintenance stuff. Uh, It's all about trucks in this first hour. Uh, I've got some things I want to talk about. I'm sure John and Joel do as well. So phone lines are open right now, and you can start dialing 855 950 3835. It looks like uh, John is on time today, but I think Joel beat him to the punch. So we're going to go in order here today. Joel, welcome to the program. How's it going, Kevin? Good. Where are you today? Rolling across North Dakota up on 94, catching a whole lot of wind, but the sun's out today and it's not enough wind to blow you over like it was the last two days, so I'm actually moving, which is which is nice. Yeah, North Dakota, holy cow! That's uh, I didn't know anybody trucked in North Dakota. Do they? <laughs> There's not much traffic up here. I can tell you that. I know it's, it's uh, not a lot of traffic issues up there. That's for sure. Not it's not hard to find a place to park either. This is true. Yeah. This is true. It's, it's yeah. kind of nice. You can roll off any time of the day and pretty much park wherever you want. There you go. I like that. So uh, I noticed you've been very active with posts lately. Sounds like you got a lot of cool stuff going on. <laughs> Tell us about it. I, yeah, I uh, kind of really opened up a, uh, a poop storm, so to speak. <laughs> not not really intentionally, but was was just doing kind of an apples to oranges comparison of a modern downsped powertrain versus our old traditional, you know, 13 or 18 speed with 355 gearing. And what I bump into a lot of is we've got guys wanting to use the manual, the old manual transmission um, in a downsped powertrain, specifically the 13 and the 18 speeds, because they like those close steps on the, on the transmission, which is very nice in a traditional powertrain, being able to split those gears and, and get a little extra power when you need to. And I've done a fairly lengthy post talking about how when you change the rear axle ratio, even though the steps in the transmission don't change, the RPM gets tighter in in between there so right. when you have a 355 with the traditional overdrive and you look at the 15 percent splits or 16 percent on a, an old 13 speed versus the 24 percent split on the i shift because of the rate rear end ratio difference the rpm drops are just about identical in those top three gears at highway speed 
So, oh God, I got a lot of heat from the 13 and 18 speed guys, and and uh, hey, it was I, just kind I, of funny because I I have to make mm-hmm. a comment. The 18 speed guys are all Nazis. <laughs> well, I, I've been getting heat from those guys well, for years. Here's the thing, and this. I know some guys at Cummins Eaton just as well as I know at Volvo. And, of course, they saw my post on LinkedIn. And they were like, hey, that was a pretty cool post. But, you know, that transmission was designed in the 1960s. And I said, that's exactly, exactly. my point. Right. So, exactly. yes, yes, yes. And they're like, you should, do, you should do a comparison with something more modern. And I said, hey, let's do a head-to-head. So they're, they're trying to get approval to do a kind of a head-to-head comparison of the iTorque to whatever their latest and greatest offering Good. is. And yeah. they had no problem with that post at all. But, man, people's heads were ready to explode, and I was the biggest <laughs> idiot that ever lived. And it was it was crazy talking about the power flow through the transmission. Listen, I know they've updated that transmission over the years. It is not in the same league as the new Endurant from Eaton or the iShift or the Freightliner. Uh, the DT12, they're they're just not. That's the bottom line. And when you spec a new truck and you put downsped gearing in it, you are not doing yourself a favor by putting a 13 or 18-speed manual in that truck. Yeah, I had a call yesterday where the guy's gearing was all wrong. He believed he had a single overdrive. I'm almost positive it was a double overdrive. He was trying to run in direct with 321s. And I said, that's just not going to work. And then the ultimate solution, I said, look, the only way to fix this, you have to figure out how to put an eye shift in an old engine because the transmission (laughs) has always been. We've talked about this many times, no matter, you know, many of us came to the gearing from different places, whether it was performance, fuel mileage, startability, whatever. But we all came to the same conclusion after you studied it enough the the missing piece to spec trucks right for years has been the transmission. Correct. The reduction in the transmission to turn that aggressively down sped rear axle ratio to bring your your ratios in line in your top three gears to the performance level that we would expect and still be efficient. Yeah, you're exactly right. And essentially what happens when we have that close step transmission you're going to shift the gear and you're going to get maybe 150 RPM drop. Right. And yeah. you'd constantly, yeah. So what good does it really do with today's modern engines that are very strong at low RPM? It's just kind of a waste of, of, of time and money, really. Well, and if you think about it, even, the, you know, a really good smooth shifter that can shift fast, you only dropped 150 RPM. How much momentum did you lose? Uh, well, and, and this is the problem. You, I'd done this, actually, with an, with an older Volvo I had years ago. I had a 13-speed manual in it and put a, like a 269 gear ratio in it. And if you want to use those overdrive, you're just constantly in motion. It, it's nonstop. And you get tired after a while. You just get sick and tired of shifting the truck all the time. And that's where... The, the the newer transmissions have have really solved that problem and, and enhanced the efficiency and drivability at the same time. So putting that 18 speed or that 13 speed um, double overdrive transmission and and I get I get racked for calling it a double overdrive. It has two overdrive gears. 
I'm not really concerned how the power flows through the transmission. So if you have a 13 speed, that's 0.73.86. That's not the ideal situation for an aggressively downsped powertrain. Yeah. Good, good point. Um, yeah, and I'm sure the 18-speed guys know I was only kidding when I called them Nazis, but they're a little over the top sometimes <laughs> with their reaction. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it happens, and, and I get it. I, you know, some guys like older trucks. I get it. Which is you know, fine. And if exactly. you want to stick with right. a with – tra- exactly. Yeah. Well, you want to stick with a traditional drivetrain, and, and that's, that's probably a, a pretty darn good transmission for traditional gearing. Um, you know, it, it's, it's nothing that I myself personally would ever build for, um, you know, operating in today's business environment. But, uh, you know, there's lots of guys out there that love to tanker and, and, you know, they love to work on their older trucks and, you know, so be it. Absolutely. And there, we have worked out better ways of gearing those trucks and getting some to run and direct with, you know, a single overdrive gear to use. And those things are all still valid and they still work. But comparing them to what you're doing today with a, a modern engine technology and, and uh, modern automated transmissions you know this isn't about are you a real truck driver if you shift gears or not it's about you couldn't possibly shift as efficiently as these transmissions do today Uh, right and and the whole point of the post was just to get people thinking about that I, i know there's a lot of people who are still confused by and quite frankly, when you start digging into this, it makes your head spin. It does. It really it does. does. It I mean, does. I've got I've got a four or five people that I work with on a regular basis on this, and it's it's not easy keeping it straight. But uh, um, nonetheless, uh, it's out there. Uh, you know, out on my Facebook page, you, you can. It's it's just kind of funny when you read through it. I think, but it's uh, it's all out there. The Cummins guys got a kick out of it. The Cummins eating guys and. And what's cool is they want to do that head-to-head on, on modern systems. So that'll be interesting so, to see how that turns out if we can get it approved uh, to do it. Yeah, no doubt. You know, I, I see this coming back sometime soon, too. Given today's fuel price, you know, we can talk about modifications to trucks, specking trucks, right, all of that stuff. But seriously, in today's environment with what's going on with rates and fuel prices, what's the single best way to control your fuel cost today? Uh, you just slow down. There's exactly. absolutely no doubt about it. You, you slow down regardless if it's old school or new tech. Slowing down, if you can, right. always makes sense. Right. So I always drive as slow as I possibly can to get the job done and still be on time. Uh, sometimes that's 75 mile an hour. But, right. Most right. of the time it's not. Yeah. Yeah. But so, it, yeah, that's what I always try to do. And you know, yep. we, we've been in an environment of super high fuel or rates, record high rates, and pretty darn low fuel prices up until just recently. And we didn't talk about speed all that much. I mean, I might have recommended it to somebody who was struggling with their cost and their fuel mileage, but it, it has not been a big topic. Uh, I have some calculators that I'm going to go back and dig up that I had years back when fuel went over four bucks a gallon that shows the difference in time versus cost and, you know, a bunch of other things that really pointed out when fuel prices get like this and rates are going down, how much savings there is in just slowing down. And it, it's hard. I, I'm sure 
we're going to get huge pushback on this because how many owner-operators today have never operated in an environment like we're heading into? I that That's exactly right. You know, if you've never really struggled through the high fuel, low rate environment, you don't know. And, you know, all you know is the faster I go, the more money I make. Right. And that's just kind of you know, the way it, it's, it has to be. And I, I've heard that multiple times from guys. I got a truck that's very high speed capable. I rarely run it up there. On occasion, I will sometimes right. just for kicks, you know, right. Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to blow some money today, but uh, right. it is what it is. <laughs> yeah. All right. Good stuff. So, uh, I'm sure you've got other things to talk about. I'm going to bring John in because, uh, I'm sure he's just sitting there chomping at the bit, wanting to comment on this stuff. Aren't you, John? <laughs> Uh, somewhat yeah i I should have jumped in on some of joel's posts but i I just don't have time for that lately um what he what he he did there i again i'll relate it to what i do um we will change the ring and pinion in our car i mean we we could change all the ratios in the gearbox to, to suit what we're doing right and 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 we've had this discussion about splits and so forth and i was well aware that the you know that the faster gear you have in your end the tighter your splits become because it's a multiplication between the two related to road speed and RPM. So it's overall ratio that matters. And that's what controls how far the RPM drops when you shift a gear. And we will sometimes, if I've, I'm in between two available gears for something, we'll actually change the ring and pinion in our, in our, in our gearbox. It's all one unit. It's a transaxle to get where we need to be. And so what Joel said there is absolutely correct on the, you know, the guys who want to be the 18 speeds and so forth to have those tiny splits. Um, he's accomplished it with the rear gear. Like he's there. So that's what his does because of that. And with the crawlers and so forth in that box, you know, you, you could, you could bump up to a, to a, to a, you know, a dock without smashing it. You can, you know, pull out from a stop sign and everything else you need to do with it too. So, uh, yeah, it was preaching to the choir there. And I, it, it amazed me how many people just didn't understand. It was, well, uh, it, it was interesting. <laughs> well, and if we want to get really specific, let's throw in one more factor that is a factor. It's not as big of one, but tire size goes into this calculation too. Again, it's overall ratio. Yeah, Absolutely. Right. It's, so it's, you know, it's RPM at the engine and RPM at the wheel or actually roll out at the, at the, at the wheel. Uh, that affects it. So yeah, tire size definitely works into it as well. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, uh, and reverse speed is another thing that we have to think about that most people don't think about. If if you if you really aggressively downspeed a, a manual transmission, you're going to have a blistering fast reverse in it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 That's for sure. Yeah. Well, you know. If, but hey, I don't know hey, how Steve does it. He's, that, he's got it. You know, the, the one exception to this role is, is our buddy Steve, and, and he's got that crazy old Meritor 10 Direct in it that really does have some pretty wide ratios from front to back, and it's got a big overall ratio, and it's only 10 speeds, but, uh, you know, he, he manages it. But, you know, that, that Steve, he's, he's, he's superhuman. Well, I was just um, going to say, we have to but, remember, uh, Steve is a freak of nature. and i say that with uh you know with a a smile on my face because steve was one of the guys that came down and saved me and brought me some tools when i was working on the coach at the truck show so uh i got to spend some time with him and and he's he's just he's a great guy and he's worked hard at this stuff and he's developed some pretty cool things and he pushes limits on the old stuff the way joel you push limits on the new stuff 
Sure. So, I, and that's a, that's a great thing. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's not really fair to call Steve stuff old, to be honest with you, though. I, I don't. Uh, okay. Yeah. So the base of that thing is an old Meritor 10 correct. But if you look at the ratios, it's real similar to something new. And then, then if you look at the uh, the engine, uh, I, I realize it's not turbo compounded, but it's using a VG turbo much in the same way the Volvo VG works. You know, it, it's there to broaden the torque curve. No, that's and, that's and so really by by every it. metric, where his his truck is emulating, you know, a modern. A, yeah. a modern piece in a lot of ways. No, that's that was actually kind of my point that he's showing ways to take the older technology and kind of get some of the same efficiencies out of them. Yep. Yeah, I think that's and uh, uh, he's the only one. I, I don't see anybody else working like he does on that stuff at all. Yeah, no, him and his son. Now I met his son as well, and they're both uh, they're both kind of tuned into the same stuff on fuel economy. It was interesting to spend some time with both of them. And uh, uh, any- on your on your way back west, you ought to pop by their little shop in Pewaukee, Wisconsin, and see the aero stuff they're working on. You'd be impressed. So I don't know if you said you pictures or anything. You got some cool stuff going on there. Yeah, if I get a chance to, I'll definitely do that because uh, my my new truck just went down the line last night. My iTorque truck, oh, so cool. it is built. Um, I should should be getting some pictures of it later this afternoon after they run it through their their dyno as it's coming off the line and stuff. So I'm I'm hoping to have some pictures to to post. But yeah, she it's in existence. It's finally here, so that's cool. Hey Joel, when uh, when mm-hmm. do you think that truck will be in Ohio? Um, it's going to the mod center to get the solar and the air conditioning and all that put on there. I'm not sure how busy they are. I wouldn't expect it's going to be anytime soon though. Okay. It's probably a month. Got it. Okay. So, and I may be back this way again. I've been, uh, I've been bouncing back and forth between Northeast Ohio and Saxonburg. And at some point I'm going to be heading back West, but I, John, to your point about going through with Wisconsin, yeah, not this time of year. I'm taking the southern route when I go back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it could still snow up there. There's, there's, sure, yeah, yeah there's, still, there's still crazy weather up in those northern routes this time of year. So I'm going to go where the sun is shining and it's getting warm. I've been, I've been in the cold since I left home, it seems like. Uh, either one of you guys got anything else? I have one more topic I want to talk about before we get to calls. Yeah, I guess just just, go go ahead, John. Oh, no, I just wanted to follow up on, uh, we ended kind of abruptly there last week and I was late, late to the, to the show anyway, but uh, the little bit of maintenance discussion we had there at the end, uh, I can't go on enough about that sort of thing. Um, You know, the fellow bought the the WPC wheel bearings, he had his wheel bearings, uh, the surface treatment done on those, which, you know, actually does work, but you can, buy things and get the latest whatever, hang an air dog on your truck, do this, do that, a fleet air filter, whatever you want to do. But, you know, if you've got maintenance issues other than that, it doesn't matter. Um, you know, people need to be really careful. And a lot of that stuff doesn't really cost any money. Just take some time. And, you know, we, I, we don't talk about it enough. You know, we're, we're, we're talking about new things and tunings and whatever. And, you know, how about basic maintenance, especially right now whenever the rates are low and the fuel's high? There's stuff you can be doing to your truck for free. That's you know, it just costs you a little bit of time on a Saturday or whatever, and it makes a huge difference. So don't overlook that. I mean, it's it's so easy to get wrapped up in, 
buying this or buying that and uh, and some of it just doesn't matter um, you know, if you, if the maintenance isn't there. Yeah, it's a really good point. We have talked about it. We don't talk about it enough. I think I even have a document somewhere, uh, and I'll go back and dig it up because again, this is cyclical. Uh, you know, when rates are through the roof and fuels low, it's hard to get people interested in this. So you kind of feel like you're beating your head against the wall when you keep repeating it. But now is the time to bring all of this stuff back. The idea of speed versus rate maintenance now, you know, all all of this stuff becomes critically important. Just to give you an example, I, I pulled up an old spreadsheet that I had written years ago, and I was just comparing the savings at different fuel economies and different fuel prices. And right now, I'm pretty sure we can easily say $5 a gallon is about average, right? I mean, I didn't look up the national average today, but I know we've been north of $5 a gallon for a while. And we still have a lot of trucks on the road that get about six miles to the gallon. I mean, I'm shocked that that's still a common number, but it is. And Joel, you've shown that 10 miles to the gallon is possible even as a, a as an average not just you know on your best day kind of thing um so if, if we use those two extremes at five dollars a gallon the difference in fuel cost at between six miles to the gallon and ten at six miles to the gallon you're going to spend a hundred and four thousand dollars a year in fuel at 10 miles to the gallon, you're going to spend $62,000 in fuel. That's $41,000 in savings. Just fuel savings, $41,000 in a year. Yeah, absolutely. And this is, this is kind of where the new technology really starts to come into play. Um, up until just recently, one of the, the the issues that we had with the technology was it still took a certain level of driver skill to make that technology work right. Today, with systems like the Volvo IC, I know Freightliner has a comparable system. When you have these systems that can see up the road and they know what's going on. They can tell if you're on grade in the dark, right. you know, whether it's a driver, sometimes that's hard for you to tell. Yeah. Um, these systems are really going to start to close that, that skill gap. Uh, so even, even your new driver is going to be able to get in these trucks and really put up impressive numbers. I know they said that years ago when we first started right. to get the automated manuals and it really didn't materialize. Right. We weren't quite there. We didn't understand the gearing and we didn't have the, the shift logic that we have today. Um, we have really progressed since then and the the new technology is really going to make a, a a nice difference for people and really be able to cash in on on the savings that you're talking about when fuel's high like this and then on the flip side the trucks can be very very fast so if rates go up and you're in a state where you can run 75 mile an hour legal like I am right now you know open her up and go and you're still going to maintain a relatively high level of efficiency for that speed And that's a good point because as good as we got at gearing trucks and setting up trucks right, and I'm talking about older trucks, not mechanical but electronic, before the smart transmissions and a lot of these other technologies, um, 
no matter how well we spec them, you had to spec them for a pretty tight speed range. I mean, your best option was if you could run it indirect and have a single overdrive to help out a little bit. But neither one was efficient as it could have been. We were compromising on both. Whereas now we're getting down to the point where you can really dial it in to be, to be efficient in a much bigger top speed range. So we looked at that particular issue that you're talking about with the iTorque and you know what we came up with we are we have a 35% wider speed range where we maintain efficiency than just a couple of years ago that's huge so you're exactly yeah, yeah, that that is big 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 exactly right and then we go back to the when we talked about the topography of the of the country with the different grades and how the top gears match the grades and and essentially what we're trying to do is we are trying to match horsepower demand to what's requ- uh, required and what's available. That's what we're trying to match up. When we don't match those up, then we start to get into emissions problems. Yeah, another good point that people don't even think about. I mean, those, yeah. that, that was never part of the conversation when we were talking about fuel economy, and now it has to be. You know, now we're looking at, you know, let's throw in a couple other topics we've been, you know, bouncing around lately. Um, the idea that it doesn't look like we're going to be rebuilding these modern engines. Uh, it, it just looks like you're going to run them till they just don't run anymore. And it might be a million and a half miles and they're not burning oil at that point. Um, but you look at now what might become our biggest maintenance cost is replacing something like a one box. And, and now if we can extend the life of those emissions, we're not rebuilding these engines, we can really drive down total cost of ownership. No doubt. No doubt about it. Um, as we downspeed more aggressively, the engine's just simply not turning as, as many revolutions per mile. And that helps to extend the life. The architectures of the engine seem to be changing a little bit. So we're not really side loading the pistons like we used to in the past. Um, we're spending more dwell time at top dead center. So we get a little bit better combustion going on. So there's a lot of benefits to, to the whole downsped concept. The OEMs are really embracing it. I think, you know, Volvo was out of the box first on that Freightliner followed suit and they done a really good job with the, with a DD 15, um, you know, the other manufacturers are coming around. I think Cummins is going to do some things, but in, in a different way, that's going to be interesting to see. They're going to keep their, looks like they're going to keep their baseline architecture, but, but do some things with valve timing and, and whatnot that that's going to be real interesting, but, uh, all good stuff for sure. Hey, John, isn't, isn't what we're talking about here? Isn't this the maybe not the entire trucking industry, but the people that focus on this kind of stuff. Aren't we getting closer and closer to what you guys do at the track? And not that we're that close, but we're moving in that direction. Really, oh, absolutely. Yeah, really kind of customizing the entire drive line to work in a better, you know, a wider environment. Well, well absolutely. And it's, 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 you know, if you look at the great ability lesson that we got in that, in that training from Volvo, you know, that all fits with the way I will customize a setup for each track that I go to. 
but you know they 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 have to hit a bigger target. Okay, so this gear is good for this percentage of the country that has this grade. This gear is good for that percentage yeah. of the country. And through it all, they've got you know. So that, and and I like to call it more than customization; it's optimization. They're just optimizing yeah. everything yeah. from the engine architecture. You know, they're optimizing the burn of the diesel fuel by that extra dwell time at the top. They're you know getting a load off the piston to get more life out of it. And as you said, the business model is going to change. Okay, so you may have to change your one box or something, um, or the you know, the Volvo equivalent of that. I'm not sure. And but you do that at a million two or a million five, and, and, and you know nothing against reminiscing about the old mechanicals and shit. But when I was working at the diesel at Bruce's shop back in the '80s. We were rebuilding big cams every three hundred thousand. I'm sorry, it was. <laughs> right. and I know it was. <laughs> you're not going to convince me otherwise. I remember. You know, it was. It was. It was three hundred thousand, three, three fifty, four hundred. You're doing good. You know, and okay, so you just drove this truck a million two. I mean, shame on you if you don't have some money set aside or whatever to to handle that one box replacement, which Correct. doesn't cost a whole lot more than that old big cam was to rebuild. Right, and. Put put that on and go another you know seven hundred fifty thousand and throw the truck in the garbage can and get a new one. I mean, <laughs> right. you, you should have money in the budget to do that. <laughs> you, uh, like it, exactly, it's a, yeah. And, and the way people talk about engine mileage is like that's oh the truck's got two and a half million on it, but the engine's only got this. I'm like, yeah, okay. What about the window regulators and the dashboard and all that exactly. other stuff you have to deal with while you're driving up and down the road? Yeah, no, get rid of that shit. Just well, go. Well, I, I, I the, just the business have... model, and there's some young guy who wants to start a trucking company who's willing to deal with that stuff for a half million dollars or so. You will get that out of that truck if he's a smart businessman, and he'll go and it'll get him off the ground until he can get a new one, and that's how that'll work. That's going to be the cycle. Yep, yep, and yet, yet here we are. Every once in a while, you still get somebody that calls and asks about replacing uh, rods and mains. We gave that up a long, long time ago, and yet people still, every once in a while, it still comes up. <laughs> you know, you really did something wrong if you're doing that. There's something, yeah. something up. You know, yeah. there is other, there are other maintenance items. I believe in the the damper should be replaced every half a mil or so. If you look at how that thing works, the the uh, the viscous fluid in their work hardens much in the same way steel or any other 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 thing work hardens. It's you know, it's got got a weight inside of it that's bouncing around and being worked around, and eventually the stuff hardens up, and you ought to, ought to replace that. There are a few little things you need to do. Well, and overheads. I'm a big fan of overheads. Yeah. I, if I had a truck, I'd do over at every hundred thousand. Good so. point. So speaking of that, after the show today, I'm about to throw on some work clothes and pull this thing into. Uh, a bay here and put a damper on it and i think i might even take the bedroom apart if somebody here has time to do an overhead um i i oh cool yeah i i don't know if we'll get to the overhead because you know i need somebody to give me a hand with that bruce and i are thinking about doing the uh safety plus ourselves. bruce is here so i think him and i are going to get in the garage and get a little dirty today and do some work on my front suspension and uh I, I guess I could probably work over the weekend myself here, so I may. I'd like to get all three done if I could. Um, I was going to throw yeah, in that safety plus. I'm pretty sure you can handle. It's got like three saddle clamps on it, and, uh, and, and that's about it. It's not hard. Yeah, you know the other thing I got to do when I'm under there, I got to get. I'm pretty sure something got screwed on my ride height when the um, when the uh, bracket for the sway bar busted because my ride height valve is on the sway bar itself. 
and I seem to okay. be riding too low. I don't have enough air in the airbags. I crawled under there the other day in the parking lot thinking, I'll just go under there and adjust that myself. And when you raise the airbags all the way up on this thing manually, it just barely gives you enough room to get under that front suspension. Like I'm sitting there and the, the you know, components are about six inches above my chest and that's after I inflated it about 12 inches. And I'm thinking, are you an idiot? I started to grab the 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 high, right height valve. And I'm like, what are you going to do if this thing starts coming down? I, I'd be crushed. I thought, this is a really dumb idea. <laughs> yeah, I thought, this is not a good yeah. idea at all. I need to wait till I can get in a bay and get this thing up on some ramps or something. Or at least get some jack stands. Oh, they've got those wheel lifts there. Yeah. Uh, wheel lifts yeah. ought to be able to pick that thing up. So, uh, do you yeah. remember what uh, what the, each one's rated for? I don't remember, but it, it should be enough to pick that thing up. Might be. Yeah, they, they were big. They were big, yeah, big. I, I thought so, so, too. You know, I had a, a, an yeah. entirely different topic. Well, kind of. I wanted to talk about, but, God, we've taken up so much time already. I brought this up once before that um, I don't even know how you say this. A, a ch- it's A-C-H-A-T-E-S, Akati's Power. That's the company making that. Akati, uh, yeah, Akati Cycle. Okay. Yep. They're the ones making yep. that opposed yep. piston, uh, two-stroke diesel, and some of their latest claims now are they will be able to meet the 2027 emission super low NOx with no new after-treatment. They can use the, the current stuff that's on the market, and they've, tried a couple different things, some SCR, some other things, but they believe that they'll be able to meet 2027 with no new emissions. Well, speaking, speaking of that, and this is something that I'm, I'm working on or looking into with a, a couple of the combustion engineers that I, I chat with on occasion. So we're seeing a relationship between how much EGR goes through the engine and the RPM the engine's running at. And uh, I, I, I think people are going to be smiling ear to ear when we we finish up, you know, looking at this. And, and it's, it's just looking like that, you know, that EGR level is way down when you're out cruising at 900, you know, 950 RPM to virtually nothing. So, you know, you get out on a nice flat stretch of highway, there's virtually zero EGR going going nice. back into the engine, right? Yeah, nice. Well, again, the, the earlier part of your conversation Joel, leads into that, like the lower the lower piston speeds, the more dwell time, um, the, the EGR is put in there to soften the spike and the, and the combustion, right? So it works like a spring, basically. Well, if you're moving the piston up and down a little slower, if you got that extra dwell time, it's not going to need it. Now, the NOx isn't created because you don't have the cylinder pressures or the spike in the cylinder pressure that creates the NOx. Um, so that's that 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 fits completely with the whole philosophy behind EGR. Again, we're back to the downsped and the piston speed conversation. That, that it's a win win everywhere. Uh, yeah, everything revolves around that reality. Yeah. You know, when I when I first started doing this, and that was brought to my attention by a couple of these engineers, these Swedes that I work with. I'm thinking these guys are cracked. You know, piston speed, yada yada. It's RPM. It's all the same thing, and it absolutely is not. And and I mean everything revolves around that. That is the heart of your engine, and. Uh, uh, it's extremely important to get that right. 
Well, you know, I'd like to uh, spend more time on this because the engine was pretty interesting, and I finally found some of the uh, the data I'd been looking for. It's a uh, 10.6 liter. They call it a three-cylinder because technically you do only have three cylinders, but you have six pistons. Uh, the pistons actually come together to top dead center, you know, right at each other. So it, it's it's a really short engine which is pretty interesting. We could, you know, change aerodynamics that way with such a short engine. Uh, looks like it's 400 horsepower and 2270 newton meters of torque. Does anybody know what that converts to? Actually, I did the conversion. Yeah, it's going to be around six, 1,600, ain't it? Holy yeah, cow. Yeah, somewhere in that neighborhood. Yeah. yeah. You guys are right. Like 16, 0.8, I think. 1,675. Yeah. yeah. Torque. Yeah. So, so that, that opposed engine, the, the Germans actually um, had those in air. Uh-oh. Transport planes, they had opposed piston engines. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the, uh, go ahead, Kevin, Kevin, if you're in front of your Google machine, uh, Cummins uh, actually builds an engine, the KD cycle engine. I believe it's four cylinders, eight pistons, uh, two crankshafts. They, they run into each other in the middle for tanks and military application. Oh, interesting. And it's a beast. Okay. It's like it's like, it's like a thousand horsepower. It, it's a monster. Wow. Um, yeah, I believe I that re- did anything. Uh, I, I didn't read the repositions. Yeah, go on. Yeah, it's just a replacement for the old VT903s that they had been mm-hmm. running for, what, since the 19, what, almost 50s, I guess. Um, that that bigger that bigger V8, uh, but yeah, that, I, I read about that engine as well. I hadn't heard anything about emissions. I'm, I'm sure they're not too worried about smoking the place up in the tank, though. You know what I mean? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah, that's right. All right, let's. Uh, we could go on and on. What do you say we uh, jump to some phone calls? We had a bunch on the line. We actually, I think people got tired of waiting, or who knows, maybe they drove into a bridge abutment, but we lost a couple. So we'll. Uh, <laughs> We'll head off to Michigan to get started today. Greg, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. What's on your mind today? I sent over an oil sample I wanted to talk to you about. All right, let's take a look here. Uh, All right, this is a different sample, so give me just a minute. Uh, Whoa, what's going on with the silicon? Did you forget to put your air filter back in? I did not. This is actually a rebuild right from PACAR. It's the MX-13, EPA-13, and I was pretty scared with those numbers, too, with it being a completely new engine. Oh, wait a minute, though. So this is like the first oil sample on a rebuild. How many miles on it? I, have, I can't find that yet on here. I did about 17,500 miles on okay. the oil sample. Then, then we can ignore the silicon. You, you can't ever take your silicon reading after the, even if just the top end's been opened up. Um, you can get some dirt in there no matter how clean the environment is, but a lot of the um, compounds used during that time show up as silicon. So we always see a really weird silicon number after it's been opened up. And especially if you you do an entire in-frame like this. So we can ignore that. Uh, the only other high number is copper. And when copper shows up by itself, we really don't worry about it. 
um, it's usually just the oil cooler leaching because it, it and especially on a rebuild. I mean, you've got to get through the lead before you could ever get to the copper on the bearing. So really, I don't see any problems with this sample now that I know that it's uh, a recent in-frame. Sounds good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I wanted to make sure because it is under a two-year warranty. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, on the warranty on an in-frame, probably the most important thing you're looking at is, is it going to burn oil? You know, because we've always had that issue of rings not seeding once in a while, and you got to go back and prove it. And, um, but we're not sure. seeing much of that kind of stuff anymore at all. Um, so I, I think you're in fine shape here. Um, so I just resample again at 25000 or less, and I think a lot of these numbers. Now, the copper could go through the roof. Sometimes when these things start leaching, you're at 56. I've seen them go up to four and 500. And it doesn't hurt anything. There's nothing to worry about. The copper in the oil is too fine to even bother anything. Um, so occasionally you'll see that happen. We really want to see that silicon number come down the next time. And we, and we want to get it back to where it's under 10. Interesting. Well, most interestingly enough, should I look at putting an OPS on there to run the next million miles on this new motor to keep it as clean as possible? My question would be, can you give me any reason why not to? Right, exactly. So why not go all the way with it and keep it I, as clean as possible, right? I, I, you know, I, I was saying years and years ago, I don't know why they just don't put bypass filters on the engine from the factory and they're finally starting to do it. It's not the same level of what we do with an OPS, but absolutely. I mean, I can't think of a single reason not to keep your oil cleaner. And would a guy be worried about that warranty? Would Has anybody heard anything about warranty being affected by putting an aftermarket system on? Yeah, this is actually a topic we've talked about many, many times over the years. Now, there's the law, because there are laws about warranties, and then there's the real world. So we got to talk about both. The law basically says that you can modify that thing all you want, and that does not void your warranty, unless... They can prove that your modification caused the failure. And then that's just logical. Of, of course, the OEM shouldn't have to manufacture something that you modified and the modification caused the failure. Wasn't their problem. But if you modify the hell out of it and their part fails and you can prove none of your modifications caused the failure, then they cannot void your warranty. I mean, that's the law. Now, it comes down to the real world of proving what caused the failure if they decide they want to fight you over it. It's pretty rare, but we have had some occasions where the manufacturer said, nope, not going to warranty it. You had a bypass filter on. You went too long on your oil. And our response was, who cares how long we went on the oil? We have oil samples to show that oil was always within spec. So the oil couldn't have caused the failure. And we have proof of it. We have samples for the entire history of the truck, and the oil was always within spec. So you still have a warranty at that point. Now, is it like the oh, the aftermarket systems like that? Are they cleaning the oil too much before we do an oil sample, and you may not catch something? No. No, because is it, the... Is that a dumb question? Or? No, it's not a dumb question. I think we all had that thought at one point. Like, if, if the 
OPS has that secondary heating element that most other filters don't have, and that burns off liquid contaminants. If you were to get water in the oil, it would, it would get boiled out. If you get coolant in the oil or fuel, it gets boiled out. But the labs understand that even though the liquid's gone, there are traces there that we can still predict how much fuel dilution was there, and they're accurate. We've been using them for decades. So it's a good question. The answer is the labs are able to make up for them. That's why they ask the labs. There's a question on there. What kind of, Are you using bypass filtration? Because we will look at a sample differently if you're using better filtration. Sure. Okay, great discussion. I appreciate it. I plan on running this and making my money with this engine for the next million miles. The truck does have a million on it, obviously now, but hmm. it's time for the next life for this truck, and I appreciate Excellent. all of your information. Hey, do you mind if I ask what they uh, what they charged you for an in-frame on that? It was ugly, but... No, I had a few other things put on, but I would say relative about 38000 Okay. That, oh. and that, it, it's not that's, as bad as I thought it could have been, really, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's right at Peterbilt. So okay, yeah. good. And, and the reason I ask yeah. is I think you're the first person I talked to that has rebuilt an MX. Well, it's pretty rare. I haven't found too many guys either yet. But if I if I look at the original owners that owned this truck and they got their million miles out of the truck, then I felt like I had a really good chance to do so myself. Yeah. So, yeah. It, It'll be interesting to see if if some of these. What was the um, what was the reason for the in frame? Was it consuming a lot of oil? Didn't consume any oil. It just let loose the, the crank snapped oh. in front of the engine. Oh, okay. So we had a catastrophic yeah. failure. Huh? Yep. And it it hammered enough to where it still ran to get it moved in the parking lot, but it was sure noisy. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it's pretty interesting to watch one run with a big hole in the side of the block, too. (laughs) uh, They'll do it. Yeah. Yeah. I figured figured with that crank letting loose like that and that motor having so many miles on it, up to 900,000 miles possibly on that motor, I just figured I'd just replace the complete because I feel like the engineers – I'm sure got a hold of uh, the rebuilds on those MX 13s and they really manufacture and rebuild a good engine. So that's why I went with a whole new engine. Got it. All right. Well, uh, instead of rebuilding it. Oh, I got yeah, on that. Uh, go, I, I just caught no, that. So you put a new engine in for 38,000. Yeah. A new, a new engine, a new remanufactured engine from, Okay, got it. Brand new. Got it. So they didn't in frame or out of frame yours. They this is a rebuilt engine from the factory. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Right. Interesting. So I I was always looking for the specs on exactly what they do to the the engines when they do the rebuild, but that's hard information to get a hold on. Uh, John has some inside information he might be able to get for us on that from Packard, don't you, John? Oh, yeah, I do. I've been in that engine plant. Probably the only thing that's used on your engine is the block. Wow. Uh, everything else in there is going to be new. Wow. Yeah. yeah, so that's basically a new engine. Uh, yep. And, and it's a 
pretty cool deal. And on your, uh, I, I do have some inside info on, on pack cars. Um, be really careful. The broken crank thing with pack cars is usually related to a mechanical overrev. And I don't know if you're an automated transmission or not, but just make sure um, on a downhill you don't let it go too far. Um, it's it's usually the mechanical overrev that causes the problem uh, on the Jake, whatever. That's that's when they uh, that's that's like the, and there's a harmonic that's set up there. I don't know if that's to do with uh, rod length or what, but uh, the issue happens uh, largely due to mechanical overrevs. You know, almost every engine failure you see in the bottom end of a pack car is related to a mechanical overrev. Hey, John, couldn't we say that if, if we have the OEM rebuilding this thing from a bare block, every part but the block is new, I would have to assume they line bore the block, right? Yes. Wouldn't this be better than an original? It should be, yes. It definitely should be. Now, that, that's a CGI block, uh, compressed graphite, which is a really, really strong material. So it's not like the old days where the season block was better. I mean, this thing's just better to begin with. It's a super strong block. Uh, there's not do much they, to go wrong with it. And they're, they, and they're nice and light. Do, so. they, do they warp less than a traditional block? They don't, they don't warp at all. Oh, got it. Okay. So the line bore is just yeah, they, cleaning some things up. Yeah. Yeah, the, the heat rejection from the CGI is, is much greater than regular cast iron, and it, they're really not susceptible to, uh, to to much warping or anything. It's fantastic. I, I think the new Volvo CGI also is Mitchell. I believe so. Yeah, yeah, Got yeah. It. Good. It's really, really, really good material. Yeah. All right, let's uh, let's grab another call. Hey, before I grab this call, I don't want to get to the end and rush like we did last time. Can you guys hang out for another hour of anything goes? And it may not even. I be- don't know if I can do a full. I, I was well, going to say I'm at a racetrack. I'm going to hear cars going by in the background. <laughs> okay, <laughs> it may not even be a full hour. The the interesting thing I, I love this new format. If I have two or three calls hanging around, I'll take ten or fifteen or twenty minutes and just do a couple extra calls. And when we're done, we call it quits. So if you guys want, if you can hang around, hang around. If you need to drop off, that'll be fine too. I've got another thing on that last call. Um, okay. we, we don't talk about this much, but a rebuilt engine, new engine, new to you engine. I'm a big fan of doing the oil, dumping the oil as soon as you get it home. Put some cheap oil in, run it for about 5,000 miles, dump that, and then put your good oil in that you're going to keep for a long time. I mean, it, even the best shops, you know, that thing sat open for how long the valve cover was off or whatever. And you, you just don't know. I mean, even, even really careful guys can get some dirt into an engine. And that silicon number and silicon is an abrasive and yeah. So That's for the good point. cost of oil, I mean, and don't even use good stuff. But yeah, put put some cheap whatever you could find in there, um, you know, and just dump it. You know, use it, you know, at first dump the stuff that came with it immediately. You know, when you get it back from the shop, and then do like a five thousand mile change, and then 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 go from there. Good point. Um, to try and do an extended drain on that first oil that came with that engine after it was just rebuilt, is, uh, I don't find advisable. Yeah, so. uh, that's a good point. All right, let's let's uh, let's grab a call here. We're going to head off to Ohio this time. Mike, welcome to the program. Well, Kevin Rutherford, Mike Olkowski, how's it going over there? Good, good. What's on your mind today? Well, I uh, I had to pipe in on the uh, banjo versus auto ship transmission. Yep, in, in an old school. <laughs> okay. Uh, I ended up buying that uh, 2008 Kenworth, that W900, 
that come with an 18-speed auto shift, which was uh, an interesting setup. But uh, the thing with the manuals, I'm, right now I'm in a uh, Freightliner with a 13-speed manual, and uh, I really like Shipton. I like Shipton. <laughs> I, I, it, 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 and it's a, it's a preference. I know what it costs me to, uh, because I've had, I have that auto shift, but uh, um, it, uh, it, it's like a, in 2019, the Corvette BL1 was offered with a seven-speed manual and an eight-speed automatic. The eight-speed automatic outperformed the manual in every category, but you know what? I'd have to have the seven-speed manual because hey, I, I really like shifted. I, I I respect <laughs> and I like that. I really do. When you when you know the numbers, you've done the research, and then you say this is my preference. Absolutely, that that's one of the reasons we're owner operators and business owners. You get to make your own choices. The only thing I that's think right. makes sense is that you made an informed choice. And many of these guys will just stand there and just swear up and down that you're just wrong. None of that stuff matters. That that's that's the difference. Now I have a really important question right. though. Sure. So I know if you drive an eighteen speed, that makes you a real truck driver. But what if you drive an eighteen speed <laughs> auto shift and now what? Oh my. I know. You're a real poser at that point. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You're a poser. There you so, go. <laughs> I, I have let that thing shift itself, I think, like twice in 1.7 million miles. I don't know who set up the shift points on that. And uh, I was up. Uh, I, I live in Kalamazoo, right here on Gilbert, where the uh, uh, test facility is, the Fuller Test Facility. And I went over there to... Brad Zapolowski, I think he's over there with uh, Edward now, but uh, um, maybe you got to move this ship point. You know, the thing's revving up to 1,500 RPM, and I got the 600 or signature Cummins in there, you know. So uh, anyway, he couldn't do it, so I just shipped it manual. I pushed the buttons. I'm actually on my third shifter now because I wear the buttons out and the buttons shift it. <laughs> oh, well. Hey, 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 Mike, now you're really confusing the issue. So if you drive an 18-speed manual, you're a real truck driver. If you drive an 18-speed auto, you're a poser. What happens when you drive an 18-speed auto but you shift it yourself every time? Now what do we got to call you? I, I know. I know. Yeah. Now what are you? So, yeah. so it beauty is it'll shift with the cruise control on. So this is how I drive. I got I got rid of the 355 gears, and I got 279 gears in there. So I have to be 1,200 RPM in the big ball to 69 miles an hour. 1,200 RPM is 69 miles an hour. So, it, it, you know, um, as you know, I drive 58 miles an hour. And uh, so this is how I drive. I drive in 17th. If I come up to it, even an overpass, I come up to an overpass, I drop her in the 16th, climb the hill in 16th, put her in 17th on the top, drop her in 18th on the way down, and when it slows back down to my 58 miles an hour, I drop her back in 17th. There you so, go. You, you, you just described 
what iTorque does automatically. Exactly. Right. <laughs> but I really that, that is that is exactly what iTorque does. <laughs> I make five hundred shifts a day. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, that's right, right. Yeah, that's right. And I and I and I know I know that's true because, like I said, I had retrofitted an old Volvo years ago, similar ratios with a with a stick manual. And my God, your arm, you're just nonstop <laughs> moving that thing. And and I love to shift too. But God, it gets to a point where wow, you know, you just wow. you just had enough. So I'm pretty I, sure, I, I absolutely. Enough. I've never had enough. I've I, never had enough. I really like shifting. I, I don't know the config, I don't know the configuration of Go your ahead. shift button, but I'm wondering if your right thumb is significantly bigger than your left thumb. <laughs> That's so funny. I know. What a poser. <laughs> uh, and I'm also wondering does your does your left leg do the clutch thing while you're pressing the button? No, no, it, it, it's right, I know. It's just a reflex. That's right. That's so yeah. funny. That's yeah. so funny. It's just uh, a reflex. Awesome. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, and I, uh, it, there's no question that that auto shift will outdo a manual. I mean, anybody that says it doesn't, they, they, they have a less than zero concept of how all that works. There's no way I could do manually what I do with that with that auto shift. There you, you go. Know? Hey. Um, it, it, and again, because I can leave the cruise on. I leave the cruise on. You know, you shift up and down, and it just, you know, it never grinds a gear. It never, it just shifts. It just, damn that thing. <laughs> hey, Mike, got to cut you loose. We're right at the top of the hour, but you get the award for Call of the All right. Week. I like All right. that. <laughs> well, you know, the next time I'll call, we're going to talk about the uh, New Deal 2024. There you go. We'll do that. You'll have to. All right. Thank you, Kevin. All right. Thanks for the call. Uh, boy, I, I, I had so many comments now, I forgot half of them. That was an awesome call. I love that. Uh, oh, I know what I was going to say. John, th- those cars yeah. sound like they're going really fast. Uh, they are. I'm at one of my favorite places on earth right now, a little track called Virginia International Raceway in Danville, Virginia, which is just a really cool place right now i mean it's a, the area is really gentrifying and just really a neat neat area uh track you know runs through some hills and s's and whatever and uh they have hotel rooms on the front straight and i'm in one of them right now which is way quieter than if i were outside or outside sitting in my car but wow. yeah so there's zooming by on the front straight as i'm here but they've got really nice garages below the hotels, and it's a, it's a it's a it's almost like a country club. This place it's really cool. If anyone ever has the opportunity to get down here for a race, they should. Uh, just a neat area. I, I just uh, I love this area. Um, Danville, Virginia. That was the uh, the last the last uh, capital of the Confederacy. Uh, I saw on a, on a sign on the way here this week. Yeah, so a little history <laughs> but, uh, lesson today too. Really, really, really cool place. Yeah, yeah, really neat. Uh, on the manual thing, as you know, you run in my pickup truck. I am a manual fan completely in yeah. every way, shape, and yeah. form. Um, my 16-year-old daughters, I, uh, I've already taught to drive a manual in my old BMW. Uh, I did buy them a Mini Cooper that happens to be an automatic, and I'm not happy about it. But uh, <laughs> yeah, they're going to share that. But uh, it's uh, it's got a nice little turbo 1.6 in it, and I was driving it around the other day. I just picked it up a week or two ago. Um, and heading up a small hill, and the turbo started making boost, and things pulling really nice. And I just squeezed the throttle a teeny tiny bit more, and it dropped two gears. 
Like, I'm like, there. damn it. Hey, hey hold, hold, hold that thought. I'm going to wrap up this segment, yeah. and uh, we'll be back in about 30 seconds, and we'll start a second segment. Phone lines are open. You can follow the next segment at letstruck.com. Have a great week, and uh, we'll see you on Monday. I'm Kevin Rutherford.